back to another episode of Behind the Rainbow. I'm your host, Elaine Chaya. If you don't follow me on Instagram, make sure you go and follow me on Instagram at Elaine Chaya, E-L-A-I-N-E-C-H-A-Y-A. I always say it at the beginning of the show because I love to connect with you guys on my Instagram. I feel like that's the fastest way to reach me. And so I want you guys to send me screenshots of your thoughts about this episode and all the previous ones. And I will totally respond to you and we can have conversations on my Instagram. So slide into my DMs. Also, don't forget to write me some ratings and reviews they're super important because the more I get the more dope this podcast will be and the more people will listen in and make sure you share these episodes and finally what was my last thing that I wanted to say oh yeah make sure you subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts on Spotify any other podcast app there is that way you can know when my episodes are up before they go on my Instagram all right so for today's episode it's not about dating I know I've done a few about those it's something I'm actually very sensitive to and don't really ever actually speak and this is the first time I'm speaking about this topic and as my podcast is about me being authentic about who I am and sharing other people's authentic journeys I thought it would be very important for me to express why I was inspired to do this episode I've never announced this out loud or really to myself but I'm going to do it on this podcast for the first time so I deal with something called body dysmorphia disorder if you guys know what that is it's a mental health disorder in which you can't stop thinking about one or more perceived defects or flaws in your appearance I'm reading this definition off of wikipedia but i think it'd be super helpful for those of you guys who don't know it's a flaw that appears minor it can't be seen by others but you feel so embarrassed ashamed and anxious that you may avoid social situations two percent of the population deals with body dysmorphia issues and this can also fall into eating disorders and the way you look so for me i deal with not thinking maybe sometimes that i'm skinny enough i have a stomach that i've worked really hard to try to get some abs and i don't i really obsess over the fact that i feel like i have this stomach that i can't get rid of and i know from the outside you guys might think I'm crazy because I'm so skinny and I'm aware that I'm naturally skinny I was always naturally skinny and with body dysmorphia disorder what happens is that even though from the outside other people might think you look a certain way you're so obsessed with how you perceive yourself that when you look in a mirror it may be a skewed not a right version of what is reality I talked today with Kevin Nahai who has dealt with his own stories of body dysmorphia and eating disorders and he shares his struggles and his journey about coming to the other side and getting past that and what Kevin says is that most of the time it comes from childhood in a comment that was made and I remember when I was a kid there was some comment made about my stomach that it wasn't super flat and it was kind of round from that moment on I've been obsessed with the fact that my stomach is never flat and it's kind of round whether you deal with eating disorders or body dysmorphia or not we all have things about our bodies that we don't like this conversation is really important about how to love yourself it's really all about confidence and being confident in who you are and even with body dysmorphia I was reading this online you know it's even come down to the world of the snapchat filters with having the big lips and seeing the kim kardashians of the world and of course i always think that social media is the cause of every problem in this world but it does and it has affected people's way of feeling certain ways and looking certain ways these filtered selfies make you feel like you're just not as pretty as you are without these lip injections or glitter eyeshadow selfie filters and all that kind of stuff i really am adamant about this episode and i mean when i was listening to it it really helped me to kind of love myself and love my body the way i am as you see I always work out and I always eat and I try to eat healthy and I try to keep everything in line because I know the answer to that is not dealing with eating disorders and to go about feeling confident in your body and any kind of dysmorphia or, or hatred towards your body and yourself in a healthy way so I'm excited about this episode with Kevin I think he has a lot of amazing important points for all of us to take away from a specific reason why I did this episode with Kevin is because he's a guy we all think that eating disorders and body dysmorphia only fall in the line of girls 
girls and that's not true so we talk about that too so we touch upon a lot of stuff i hope mine and kevin's authenticity can inspire you guys to love yourselves and love your body and if you're dealing with anything like an eating disorder or feelings of body dysmorphia or simply just not liking the way you look for whatever reason or whatever body part how you can go about overcome it please make sure to send me screenshots and slide into my dms with your thoughts on this episode if you have any questions and more i'm also putting kevin's details in the show notes about his youtube his instagram how you can contact him if you want to coach with him if you want to get any guidance from him or get some love he's the best motivator there ever was all right i love you guys thank you kevin for doing this episode all right first of all let me preface this by saying we're sitting outside of swingers on beverly boulevard because two reasons i wanted to take a really cute photo with these cows inside i've never done that so thank you so much kevin Nahai, who's on my episode for making that happen and i wanted something cute and aesthetically cool so if you guys hear some cars honking in the background at any point that's what that is okay so today i'm with kevin Nahai. so i do my whole ritual as i do a little monologue about why i have each person on each episode so for you every person i've selected to have on my podcast it's not just oh i need someone as a guest it's very handcrafted and I feel like this is my reunion with everyone who's been impactful in my life I've known you since college you we know each other through your sister shout out to Ashley from the beginning you and I just bonded on this level you were the person before I was fashion lane before I was even a blogger before Instagram was even created I remember I wanted to be in PR and I don't remember how it got to talking but you would always inspire me to encourage me to like keep going and I just remember distinctly either a Facebook message you sent me or a text with this beautiful paragraph and I don't know if you remember this and remember do, what you I said do, yeah. okay something about Elaine be you you're amazing you're special and you can do what you want you can probably say it better than me but all I remember is that I printed this out and I put it on my wall in my room so for years you were one of the first people who really encouraged me that was so special to me because I didn't have that and I always say like, I didn't have people inspiring me to be me and you were one of those first people and so it really meant a lot to me and for us to be here now more than seven years later and we're doing this podcast together about inspiration and motivation that we'll get into I feel very like full circle moment like you were one of my mentors oh no I mean I've always looked up to you and we've always had a great relationship and I've always admired how you are you unapologetically and it's just an amazing thing to see your growth over the years and your evolution and how much you've changed and it is a very full circle moment for me as well so it's always been my pleasure to support you thank you okay so for people who don't know you give us a little bit of background about who you are growing up what you were interested in what you studied in school and all that kind of stuff oh man okay that's a mixed bag so basically my name is Kevin hello nice to meet you all I'm 27 I was born and raised in LA to Persian Jewish parents I didn't really grow up inside the Persian Jewish community because I went to a school where there weren't many Persians and stuff like that growing up my biggest interest was always music so I started playing drums at a very young age when I was like six or seven and I took it really really seriously I started playing professional when I was 18 and I started doing a bunch of studio recording and shows and I was in many different bands and then when I went to college I thought that I wanted to play music professionally as a career but I started studying other things and one of the other things that I studied was communication in all of its forms written oral transmitted over the internet and the thing that fascinated me so much was how people send and interpret messages and how people communicate with each other and what people's stories are and I learned that I had this natural for communicating with people and learning about who they are and listening and really helping them. Then for many years after college and during college, I was sort of like, okay, I know that I love people. I know that I love talking to them and listening to them, telling their stories and trying to help them and guide them. But I didn't really know how to turn that into a career. What do I do? Do I become a 
therapist. So I worked a bunch of different jobs. I became a personal trainer. I got a nutrition certification. And then I went back to graduate school to study social work. I did a business program that was a mixture of business and social work. But kind of like you, you had this idea of what you wanted to do and the way you wanted to express yourself. But it took you a while to figure out how to manifest that and how to monetize that and how to make that your main gig. And of course, we're both still figuring that out because it's an ever evolving thing. But basically where I am now, thank God, is I do a lot of public speaking and I do a lot of writing and I have a one-on-one mentorship program where I work with clients, usually people between the ages of like 20 and 30. And I work with them on a variety of emotional and psychological wellness related issues. So it could be anxiety management. It could be career and learning your passion. It could be dating and relationships problems you may have in your romantic life. And I was so compelled to do this because one of the things I started studying pretty intensely was that millennials, people around our age, have the highest rates of anxiety, depression, and unhappiness of any cohort of young people in history. You know, we're the most heavily medicated group of people in America. We're on all sorts of antipsychotic and anti-anxiety drugs. Our relationships are terrible. We've gotten really caught up in the world of social media and Instagram and it's destroyed our self-esteem and there are good sides to all that stuff and there are bad sides to all that stuff but I wanted to figure out why are people our age in this generation so unhappy and what can I do to make a difference in their lives so that's really my mission and have you figured out through research or through the people you've worked with what the cause of it is I think social media is the cause of everything (laughs) but maybe that's just a factor but no it's that's a small factor oh damn it I thought it was a whole factor (laughs) do you know of other factors that make it there are issues that are unique to every person but if you look at the research specifically on people in our age group there are a lot of patterns and it's a combination of factors but one of the patterns has a lot to do with our parents and the way that they were raised and how that influenced and informed their parenting style so we have incredibly high amounts of anxiety and depression that has a lot to do with the way that our parents raised us in this generation which has to do the way that they were raised by their parents in that generation another factor is job security and financial security for people in our age it is way 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 harder to make money and get a stable job than it was back in the 80s but we've grown up with the same expectations that our grandparents had of our parents and our parents had of us so there's a confluence of factors that could be a different episode for a different time because I don't want to get into all of the data and statistics and stuff now it's created a situation where as I said our relationships are really bad our friendships are really inauthentic and our self-esteem is really low but the good news is that there is so much room for upward mobility and improvement and what I found is we are a group of incredibly intuitive and bright young people and all we need is somebody to ask us the right questions and sort of teach us how to tap into our intuition we're not lazy we're not stupid we're not bums all these things that we say about millennials we're not entitled whatever the tropes are I think that we're a very bright and intuitive and compassionate group of young people and we just need a little bit of guidance now when we were talking about brainstorming what to talk about on this episode because there are so many things you can talk about there was one that really resonated with me and I felt that you would be a good person to have this conversation with and that's about body dysmorphia and eating disorders and the way you look I mean you have a whole story about your own experience that we'll get into and I feel it's interesting because we can talk about this episode with girls and you think it's only girls that have these issues but you're a guy you've gone through your own you know 
know, trials and tribulations with this stuff. So I wanted you to kind of be a voice for that. Can you explain a little bit about your story and kind of what you went through? Yeah, of course. So I had a really bad eating disorder for a couple of years when I was in college. I never had an official diagnosis, but I did a lot of binge eating and I was also in my estimation and probably many other people's severely anorexic. So I did a lot of starving of myself and then I did a lot of binge eating and I did really, really OCD style workouts where I would try to burn like however many thousands of calories and I wouldn't eat for three days. There was one point where my normal healthy body weight is about 180, 185 pounds, which is what I weigh now. There was one point my lowest weight, I was 112 pounds at five foot eight. So I lost like 60, 70 pounds in less than a year. The first year that I had all these eating disorders. I learned later in life that my body dysmorphia issues started when I was a kid. There are some people who grow up with a very healthy relationship with food and at some point they develop a debilitating eating disorder for whatever reason. Usually that's caused by some sort of event in their life that was traumatic. But I found that for the majority of people, eating disorders start when you're young and they're not full-fledged eating disorders, but they are a dangerous relationship with food. So for me, I distinctly remember when I was like 10 years old, I went to this old Persian Jewish doctor and he told my mom that I was overweight and I was in the fourth grade. In that moment, I felt so much guilt and shame. And that's the first time I can remember in my life really hating myself. At 10 years old, as a fourth or fifth grader, and hearing this doctor say that I needed to lose weight. And that was the first time I really had a concept of my own body and the way that I looked. Because up until that point, I was very happy-go-lucky and carefree. So when I think back on it, I had a weird relationship with my body and with food kind of throughout high school. I would get really big and strong and fat for football, and then I would cut all of that weight for soccer season, and then I would do it again. In my senior year, I started to lose a bunch of weight after football and soccer season, and I started to build muscle, and I started getting a lot of compliments. That classic cliche that you hear about happened to me, which is you lose weight, you look good, you start getting a bunch of compliments, it increases your confidence, and that confidence boosts something sparks in your brain that equates self-esteem with looking a certain way. Then you start to think to yourself that if you don't look a certain way, you won't get that attention or you won't get that love, right? Whereas the problem really is that you're lacking the self-love, you're lacking the self-confidence, and you're lacking the comfort in your own skin to begin with because of whatever may have happened or how early this may have started. Things got really, really bad for me in my first semester of college because what happened was all at the same time, this perfect storm of issues came together. One of them was that I was diagnosed with a chronic incurable disease of the stomach. So I was extremely sick. I could not keep food down. I was hospitalized all of the time and I was in excruciating pain. The second issue was that I had just left home. I had left all my friends. I had left my family. I was now a tiny fish in a huge pond and it was really scary for me to transition into college. I really wasn't ready. And then the third factor was that I already had this tenuous relationship with food and with my body and I was already very insecure about the way that I had looked because of what had happened earlier in my childhood and throughout high school. When all these factors came 
came together, I couldn't eat and I was in pain all the time and I started to associate food with pain. I feared that if I ate, I would throw up or I would be in pain or I'd have to go to the hospital. So in order to spare the issues that I was having with my stomach, I just stopped eating. At some point, I looked like a ghost. I looked like a skeleton. And so when you look in the mirror and you hate what you see and you see this shell of yourself, it doesn't motivate you to get healthy. Self-hatred begets self-hatred. It actually puts you deeper and deeper into the hole that you're already in. And so this is why I'm always preaching that if somebody has an eating disorder or somebody has any sort of traumatic thing they're dealing with in their lives, you can't try to combat it from a place of self-hatred. It can't be motivated by, I look awful, I hate myself, I have to fix this. It has to be motivated from a place of self-love, of nurturing, of nourishment, of caring. And that's why I had an eating disorder for two years, two and a half years, because I hated myself so much for the fact that my body had betrayed me. My body had given me this disease that I didn't ask for out of nowhere. And I looked terrible and my friends turned on me. Girls didn't want to sleep with me. My family was concerned about me all the time. It was just this shit show and it basically just made me really disappointed in myself and really hateful toward myself for a long time. Finally, I got help and the way that I got help was actually through a male friend who confided in me that he had an eating disorder when he was younger too. And that was the first time a guy, not only a guy, but a guy who was my close friend had told me that this is something they had struggled with. It was kind of like he came out to me in a way because men don't really talk about these things. Certainly not to each other, but not very much at all. So he recommended to me a person who could help me. She was a nutrition therapist and I went to her and I got the help that I needed. And over the years, I still struggle with my stomach illness, but I have tried to make that mostly a physical disorder rather than a psychological disorder. Because at the time that all of this was happening, I was as physically sick as I was emotionally and psychologically sick, if that makes sense. And how did you go about shifting your mindset of not having the self-hatred towards yourself and being able to eat and enjoy eating and being okay with eating? That's a great question. When people ask me that, it's hard for me to say that this is the answer because it's something that I learned from my nutrition therapist over many sessions over a period of time and it's baby steps but the biggest thing is that you have to learn it's literally like learning a skill like playing tennis or playing the piano or something you have to learn and you have to practice being kind to yourself and not being self-critical so one of the tactics is anytime you have a negative thought anytime you have a self-critical thought it could be about your body your relationship your job yourself whatever it is you have to stop catch yourself in that moment identify the thought say it out loud or write it down on a piece of paper and then you have to reverse it. Then you have to say to yourself, right now I feel like I hate my body and I'm disgusting. But the truth is, and then you have to say what the truth is, but the truth is I'm not disgusting. The truth is I look just fine. The truth is I have many people who think I'm attractive. The truth is my friends and family all love me and want me to get better. The truth is I'm making progress in all of these areas. So it's not about lying to yourself until you love yourself. It's about forcing yourself to be objective, get out of your own crazy head and catch yourself in the lies and in the stories you've been telling yourself about your body and the way you look and things like that. And it's also about setting healthy goals. So a person who has a dysfunctional relationship with food or has body dysmorphia sets really dysfunctional and dangerous goals. Those can be calorie goals. They can be weight goals. They can be exercise goals. One big shift that I had to make was learn how to switch my goals from things like losing weight or eating a certain number of calories 
boundaries to things like feeling good, feeling energetic, living a healthy lifestyle, enjoying food. So you move from less concrete goals to more qualitative goals, if that makes sense. Goals that change the quality of your life. So these were things that I learned over a period of time. And now whenever I interact with somebody or somebody confides in me that they've had an eating disorder, I try to teach them some of those tools and tactics as well. And then for the truths, how about if you don't think you look good if that's not a truth that you genuinely believe in? It is the truth. It may not be a truth that you believe, but why don't you believe it? You don't believe it because you have a distorted view of the truth. But if you had a dysfunctional relationship with yourself and you said to me, every time I look in the mirror, I just think that I'm ugly. I, as an objective observer, can look at you and tell that you're a very cute, beautiful girl. They say there's two sides to every story. There's your version, there's my version, and the truth is somewhere in between. But your version is a distorted view of the truth. Your version is a view of the truth that has been influenced by years and years of messed up psychology, for lack of a better phrase. Years and years of self-criticism or self-doubt or hatred, comparing yourself to others. So your truth is not accurate. Do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? So when you say the truth is, you have to force yourself to identify what are the lies that I'm telling myself. You have to force yourself to identify that you feel a certain way about yourself, but that feeling is not reality. And the more you practice this, the more you're kinder to yourself, you start to become in touch with what the reality is. With that, working out. I know people's association with eating disorders and food also goes with working out and being maybe sometimes obsessed with it, For sure. using that as a way to balance it out. What's your take on that and how to kind of navigate through that for people who feel that way? First of all, you have to be honest with yourself if you can. Most of the time, you need somebody actually to be honest with you if this is something that you struggle with because it's hard to be honest with yourself about your working out. Is your working out obsessive? Is your working out healthy? Is your working out something that's enhancing your life or taking away from the quality of your life? Is it helping with the problem or is it contributing to the problem? So in my case, the amount that I was working out, I had no muscle to be going to the gym and running that much and lifting those weights. I was like 112 pounds at five foot eight. If I fell over, I would have broken every bone in my body. You know, that's how skinny I was. So what is a person like that who's eating eating zero calories a day doing in the gym all the time. That's an example where you need a little bit of a kind wake up check, not a reality check like, what the fuck are you doing? There's something so wrong with you. But like, a, okay, there's a little bit of an issue here. We need to approach this in a different way. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is really about the motivation for your working out. I talk about two types of motivations, positive compelling factors and negative compelling factors. A positive compelling factor is a choice or a decision that is made out of love, out of nourishment, out of excitement, and out of the pursuit of something that is going to enhance or fulfill or contribute to your life. So that would be something like signing up with Michelle as your trainer, eating more protein, gaining muscle, feeling lighter on your feet, feeling like you have more energy, and doing that stuff because you know it's good for your health and because it makes you feel good about yourself. That's motivated by something positive. A negative motivating factor is going to the gym and exercising, hiring a trainer, or getting on a diet because you hate the way that you look or because you're comparing yourself to other people on Instagram or in magazines or because you used to be so skinny then you gained a bunch of weight and now you think there's something so wrong with you. If that's the case I'm not saying you shouldn't change your body. You should always change your body if you're not comfortable with it and you always have the right to feel good in your own skin. But the important question is what is the motivating factor? What is your why for doing what you're doing and what 
what's compelling you to do that. I became a personal trainer, as I mentioned, because with all of my clients, I wanted to make sure that working out was not something that's necessarily fun because it's not fun. It's difficult, you know, but I wanted to make sure that working out was something that increased their feeling of self-love. I wanted to teach them how to exercise and how to eat in such a way that gave them more of those positive motivating factors, gave them a positive and loving reason to wake up in the morning and go to the gym. And I wanted to teach them how certain types of workouts and certain nutrition and a certain approach to fitness and health can make them feel more energized and more alive and just more happy. I was sick and tired of seeing people like myself in the gym who were busting their ass on the treadmill or whatever because they felt like I have to lose weight. They felt all of this pressure. It was contributing to their lives in such a negative way. So I would say that it's important to analyze how much you're working out, how often, and you know to see if that's healthy and that's manageable. But it's also important to analyze the reason behind it and where it's coming from. To add with that, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions thinking that just girls are like obsessed with being skinny because you see the Kardashians of the world and the Hadids and like you want to be just like them. And it's interesting because two days ago on Instagram, I saw this guy who's a stunt body double for one of the Marvel action heroes and he's like really built and stuff now, but he wasn't like that before. And he said, you know, what you see in me and like the way I am is not real. I've had a lot of training and studio money to make me the way I am. And I want you guys to know that you can aspire to be this, but this is not real, right? And this was like a breakthrough announcement to actually acknowledge that the work that he put in is not something that is attainable if that makes sense and that was connected to this whole thing about how males have body dysmorphia and like how we're looking to be as skinny as the supermodels guys are really striving now to be like as built as the superheroes and you see all these guys at the gym and i know this one guy who was really skinny growing up and now is like super buff super obsessed has to go to the gym every day and an instagram post about how he feels so proud that he's so buff now and he's worked very hard on it but i feel like that's also the kind of body dysmorphia not an eating disorder but like your connection to eating and working out for guys why do you think that is why is that on the rise well you touched on a lot of really important points one of them is that men have eating disorders they are not as easily or as frequently identified or diagnosed as they are with women but they definitely exist and to clarify does eating disorder only mean like not eating food just gonna say that so there are many many different types of eating disorders what always comes to mind is bulimia anorexia or purge eating disorder, you know, things that make you try to lose weight, but there's also binge eating disorder. There is something called muscle dysmorphia, also known as bigorexia. This is a very new term. This is the one that I'm talking about, I think. This is a very new term in scientific literature, muscle dysmorphia or bigorexia, which there are a lot of women now who actually have this as well. So there are now women who are aspiring to be as big and strong and muscular and have as much testosterone flowing through their veins as men. So basically the world of eating disorders has evolved and morphed into a monster that we don't even recognize anymore. What you said about the stunt double and trying to be too big and you know this is not reality and stuff like that. With muscle dysmorphia and bigorexia and and everything, guys who are 14, 15, 16 years old are now taking all kinds of anabolic steroids all the time, hitting the gym, eating huge unhealthy amounts of foods, doing all kinds of unhealthy things to their body in the pursuit of the ideal body, the super hero body, the Calvin Klein model body or whatever. I was standing in line at the supermarket a couple of years ago, but I'll never forget this. I had this moment where I saw a picture on Us or Vogue or whatever of Mark Wahlberg and it was him doing some movie 
on the left side there was a photo of him all big and ripped for some movie that he was in and on the right side it was a photo of him on the beach with his shirt off and he was like fat and slobby and it was like oh my god look at what has happened to Mark Wahlberg they sell that to you in the magazine for people to look and say oh my god what happened to this guy he gained all this weight he lost all his muscle he looks awful but I remember when I saw that I was like okay the way that he looks on the right hand side where he's maybe a little bit overweight but he's just like a normal guy with like a regular dad bod on the beach that is the way that he looks like 300 days a year there's maybe like two months of the year where he's that big and muscular and ripped and it's specifically for a movie and fitness models who stay in that kind of big ripped shape 365 days a year or runway models who are like a hundred pounds and stay that way 365 days a year and never gain any weight that is not something to be aspired to yes it's reality in the sense that there are some people who do that but it's not healthy and I can tell you that it certainly does not make you happy I can tell you that it certainly does not make you feel fulfilled and it certainly does not make you feel accomplished and I don't want to go on for too long but I'll just mention something else about this which is more of a general point which is what happens when you become obsessed with looking a certain way or having a certain body or going to the gym a certain number of times a week it's good to be really proud of that I'm a personal trainer I go to the gym many times a week I love working out I get all of that but here's the problem the problem is that people start to rest their entire identity in one thing so for that guy you mentioned who says look I'm so proud of myself I go to the gym all the time probably 90% of his self-esteem is wrapped up and I don't want to speak for him but if I'm guessing 90% of his self-esteem is wrapped up in that one thing his whole identity is that he used to be a skinny guy who didn't have any muscle who now is really big and buff and girls are looking at him if all you had going on in your life was this podcast or this blog then every little thing that goes wrong is going to make your self-esteem drop in the toilet because your whole self-esteem and your whole identity is wrapped up in this one thing so fitness can be a part of your life health can be a part of your life your career can be a part of your life but no one of these things should take over your life to the point where all of your confidence is held in like this jail cell in this one thing that you do and with fitness that happens so often because if you're a fit person you get so much attention and so much instant gratification for the way that you look that of course your self-esteem is going to be based on that and of course you're going to do everything in your power to maintain that look because it feeds your ego and because now people are expecting you to show up looking a certain way all the time and that's how we develop these eating disorders is resting our self-esteem and our identity in the way that we look and what we eat and how much we exercise and then when there's an issue or we gain a little weight or we lose a little weight or we're not happy with the way that we look suddenly all hell breaks loose and now you have a real emotional psychological dysfunction problem on your hands so how do you go about not having the thing that you're focused on like your fitness or your career to be the only thing how can people break out of that man that's a tough question but i think that balance is incredibly important first of all as i said before you got to be self-aware you have to be honest with yourself how much time are you devoting to this one thing what is the reason you're devoting all of your time effort energy and resources into this one thing what is the motivating factor behind doing that and then look at the other areas of your life where you have room for growth other areas of your life where you want more where you need more that could be in your friendships it could be in your relationships it could be in your family life ask 
ask yourself how you can take some of your time and energy and effort away from this one thing and start to distribute it over the other areas of your life. If you ask yourself that and it scares you, then you might have a problem. If you have a feeling of hesitation to work out a little bit less in order to spend a little more time with your significant other, then that might be an issue. Then that might be an indicator to you that you're really, really attached to your workouts or to your diet or to your daily regimen or whatever. And you've attached a lot of meaning to that. You've attached a lot of your self-esteem to that. And the unwillingness to distribute your time and energy over various factors of your life when you should have a good balance of many different things that fulfill you is something that can indicate to you that you need to change a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah. And they always say comparison is horrible. And I'm sure everyone has a way that they compare how they look to other people. And that also relates back to eating disorders or just not being happy sometimes with how you look. What do you think the effect of comparison is and how can you stop from comparing yourself to others? I think you hit the nail on the head. I always say that the golden rule of confidence is not having more or looking better or being better than anyone else. The golden rule of confidence is not having to compare yourself to anyone else. And the key factor there is the word having to, not having to compare yourself to anyone else. That indicates a different level of confidence, a level where you don't feel that you need to compare yourself to anyone else. Not just you don't compare yourself to anyone else, but you genuinely don't even have that desire, right? That's something that like occurs to you very, very infrequently, if at all. That's the kind of level of confidence that I want to get to, where comparing myself to other people doesn't even like really occur to me because I'm that comfortable in my own skin. Now you say, how can you stop this terrible practice of comparing yourself to other people? And, you know, I don't have a prescription for this, but I can tell you the way that I did it and the way that I really built my confidence, which was stop trying to be everything that I'm not and start embracing and being everything that I am. So I'm big on reality checks. And one reality check that I had to have in my life was that everything I'm trying to be or everything that I think I should be, our confidence is always lost and our self-esteem always tanks in the space between who we are and who we think we should be or in the space between who we are and who other people think we should be. So I had to become brutally honest with myself about who I am, what I am, what I want to be in this world rather than what I think I should be or what other people have told me that I should be. So for example, if I'm five foot five, I am never going to be an NBA player. We have this trope in society that you can be anything that you want. And that's not true. That's a lie. You can't be anything that you want. What you can be is everything that you are. You can focus on becoming better at things you're already really good at rather than becoming better at things that you're bad at. So when we have something in our lives we want to work on or improve, we always say I'm lacking in a certain area and I want to make progress on that rather than I'm really good at this, this, and this thing, or I feel really good about this, this, and this thing and making that excellent, taking that to another level. So enhancing the things that we're already good at and enhancing the things we're already confident about rather than starting from a place of lack and looking at the things that we're bad at or we lack and trying to make them better. So the big point here is embracing who you are, understanding who you are, understanding your body type, understanding the way that you look most days of the year, understanding your relationship to yourself and accepting it. You know, one of the things I had to accept that was really hard for me, it was a really hard pill to swallow, is that I'm not going to walk around 365 days a year shredding 
shredded with a six pack. Why? Because first of all, that's not my body type. I don't have a naturally very low level of body fat. Secondly, I love eating way too much. I get so much joy from eating like burgers and pizza and being with friends around the dinner table. I love doing that. And third, honestly, I don't like the super skinny look. For me, just who I am as a person, I would rather be a little bit more built and muscular and have a little bit more fat on my frame than to be really stringy and skinny with like a perfectly dialed in six pack all the time. So all of those things have to do with who I am and the way that I am and what's important to me. And I had to accept that. And yeah, that may mean that I don't get to be as skinny and good looking as all these fitness models you see walking around, but that's okay because that's not who I am. So you might look at someone and say, oh, I don't have as big of an ass and I'm not as curvaceous and I don't have the boobs and whatever. But this is what I'm talking about. You have to accept, embrace, and start loving who you are rather than trying to be who you think you should be. That's how you stop comparing. Once you get really, really comfortable and you've really accepted who and what you are and what you want to be, and you start focusing on making yourself the best version of what you already are, then you don't have to compare because it's like all of those other people, their bodies, the way that they look, it has nothing to do with you. It has no bearing on you. Would you say that now your cure of your eating disorders and your relation to food and feeling bad, or do you have days that you still go through like a mindset that it's really tough for you? And how do you deal with that? You know, I definitely have days when I don't feel good about my body. And I definitely have days when I don't feel good about my diet or my food intake or whatever. But to me, I don't obsess about it anymore. I rarely think about it. Like those days are pretty few and far between. I won't lie and say that they don't exist because I'm from Los Angeles. So I'm always probably going to have a messed up image of myself in like a messed up way with food because it's just what happens when you grow up here, I guess. But for me, I don't obsess about it anymore. It's not very frequent. And also, I think a really important distinction here is that if I have those thoughts of self-criticism, they dissipate very, very quickly. So when someone's really struggling with the way that they look or the way they feel about their bodies, they think about it 24-7. All they're thinking about, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this at points in your life, but all you're thinking about is the way you look and I'm fat and I need to go on a diet and I need to work out. And it's like this vicious cycle in your head that just will never stop. So if I ever have those thoughts, they go away fairly soon. I'll think about it and I'll kind of entertain it for a few minutes and then I just gently and gracefully let it go. And I can do that because now I'm extremely comfortable with my body and my diet and my food intake and I'm extremely comfortable with the way that I look. But it's not an overnight thing and it takes a lot of time to practice. One other thing that I'll say is you don't wake up one morning, feel a different way about yourself and then live differently. Your feelings don't precede your behavior. It's the other way around. If you want to feel differently about yourself, you have to act differently. The action comes first. Doing those things I talked about earlier, like catching yourself in your negative thoughts, writing, journaling, meditating, getting a therapist, doing whatever you have to do, taking those action, that is what makes you feel better. Whereas most people think, oh, I'm stuck in this rut. I'm going to feel this way until I don't anymore. And then once I feel better about myself, then I'll do whatever I need to do. And it's the other way around. You seem like a badass boss ass man who just can handle and motivate and everything and a game I like to play with my guests is what is something that has happened to you in the past week or so that's been a struggle that maybe you haven't really shared on social media you haven't really shared publicly how have you been dealing with it or dealt with it to get yourself through that challenge one thing that I've been struggling with maybe not the last week but just pretty recently is
is I talk a lot about dating and relationships and I give people a lot of really sound, cogent, effective advice about how to improve their love life and their romantic situation and stuff. But that is something that I've really been struggling with recently. Recently, I've been feeling like what's going on in my love life and I've had doubts about relationships and dates and what type of woman I want to be with and am I good enough and stuff like that. So my romantic situation is something that I've been struggling with for probably a month or so now. And it just goes to show that even the guy who's out there positive as hell all the time, motivating people, inspiring people, giving them advice, I do not have it all figured out. But what I do is the tools and tactics that I give to other people, I do them on myself. And that's how I know that they're effective because they really do help me feel better just as I see them help other people. But you know, I'm the first person to admit when I'm not doing so well or when I'm struggling with something or when I have those days where I feel not good enough or girls don't want to go out with me or I don't like my body or whatever. I'm the first person to be totally candid about that because when we lie to ourselves about those things or we lie to other people about them, then we get stuck in them and they go deep into our subconscious and they start to eat away at us. So if you ask me in the elevator, hey, Kevin, how are you doing? I'm not the guy who's going to say, oh, everything's great. Nice to see you, blah, blah, blah. You know, if everything's great, I'll tell you and I'll tell you what's going on. But if I'm having a terrible day where I've been crying or I'm having a really difficult time or really confused or anxious, you know, I'll tell you, hey, yeah, this has been a little bit of a struggle for me today. These things kind of went down. I'm really having a hard time with it. And I might even ask you for a hug because I think that so much of the key to getting better with whatever we're struggling with is exposing it, whether that's writing or speaking, talking to a friend, talking to a professional and taking the power away from it, removing the meaning that it has, getting it out into the open, talking to somebody about it, acknowledging that it's there and then letting it pass. And do you reach out to friends and family to help you through your tough times that you have? All the time, very often. You know, I don't bombard them because luckily right now in my life, I'm in a pretty good place, but I will call people and confide things in them that they would probably think are deep, dark secrets. But the only way I'm going to get through them is if I get it out in the open. And when I had my eating disorder, just to bring it back to the topic earlier, I had to confide in my friend that day when he told me about his eating disorder, I had to tell him what I was doing. I had to be honest. I had to do that with my therapist. I had to do that with my sister. When you have an eating disorder, you lie a lot. You lie about how much you're eating. You lie about what's going on with you. You pretend that nothing's wrong. The only way to get over it is to start to be really honest and expose the truth and just seek guidance without shame. You've said so many amazing things. I'm writing all this stuff down and everyone else should be too. Oh, good. But if there's one final message you want people listening to this episode to take away with you, what would it be? It would be that if you have something that you are struggling with, whether that's body dysmorphia or anxiety, self-esteem, the way that you look, even dating, any of the things that we've gone over in this episode, when you're struggling with something, you're not going to fix it when you start with a punitive attitude. You're not going to fix it if you are already punishing yourself and trying to change something because you're unhappy. You have to start from a place of encouragement, kindness, 
and self-love. So for example, if you're working out and you want to change your body, you want to change the way you look, shift your mindset from I'm working out because I hate my body to I'm working out because I love my body. Shift your mindset from I'm working out because I hate the way I look to I'm working out because I want to respect my body and my health and I want to turn myself into a performance machine. If there's something you want to change, if there's something you're struggling with, you always have to start from a place of kindness and nurturing and loving yourself. Otherwise, it will not last. I love that. Thank you so much, Kevin, for taking Thank the time. You. So first of all, ladies specifically, <laughs> Kevin is single. If oh you couldn't God. tell by the time this episode comes out, hopefully you won't be single anymore. But if you are, guys, slide into his DMs. I'll also put all of your information, your YouTube channel, your Instagram, and everything else in the show notes for people to connect with you. I love you so much. I'm so honored to have you on this episode. It's been beautiful to see you grow. I think it's like a mutual love and we're on this journey together. Definitely. And I'm just so honored to have you on this. I love you so much. So my outro that I do is my ritual. I say until next time. So I ask my guests now to do the outro for me. So can you do the honors and say until next time? Until next time. Until next time.